Global warming forces an entire town to move, and other stories for the week ending March 1st. I'm Jamie Sudler. I'm Franny Halperin, and it's This Week in Water. The big news last week was that President Obama has promised, vetoed the Senate's approval of the controversial Keystone XL pipeline that, if built, would have moved tar sands oil from Alberta, Canada to the U.S. Gulf Coast. But the Keystone XL isn't the only contentious pipeline associated with the tar sands. Houston-based Kinder Morgan plans to expand its Trans Mountain Pipeline that carries oil from Alberta to Burnaby, British Columbia, just east of Vancouver. Kinder Morgan's proposal has sparked huge protests in Canada, and last Friday the company came under fire from the mayors of both Burnaby and Vancouver for failing to answer hundreds of inquiries about safety and groundwater monitoring. The company had provided a heavily redacted version of a spill response plan claiming disclosure of valves or critical access points would compromise the pipeline's security. If the proposal is approved, it would increase oil tanker traffic from 60 ships to more than 400 per year. A report by Canada's Department of Fisheries and Oceans concluded that a rise in shipping would increase threats to endangered whale populations. According to the Canadian conservation group Living Oceans, tanker traffic also threatens other marine life, including wild salmon, migratory birds, and shellfish. The Canadian government has repeatedly promised a world-class marine safety and spill response plan as a precondition to the pipeline. But a recent Canadian government study found that, at present, Canada is totally unprepared to deal with oil spills of any kind off of its coasts or near its rivers. The entire town of Kivalina, Alaska, is going to have to move. Why? Because according to the U.S. government, it may be too dangerous to live there. Usually the island is protected by ice. But global warming is changing that. The town of about 400 sits on a fragile barrier island 80 miles north of the Arctic Circle. And the ice around the island is melting, which leaves it vulnerable to powerful waves that can wash across the town. Kivalina is inhabited by indigenous peoples, and the ice around it used to be 8 to 10 feet thick. Now it's much more fragile. But relocating the town will be costly, about $100 million. And who will pay for the move is an open question. The Obama administration has not said it will seek funding for the move. And according to a human rights organization, there is no government agency that has the responsibility to relocate an entire town. A new source of power generation is now being used in Portland, Oregon, and it comes from the water running in the city's pipelines. Fast Company reports that Portland is using pipelines that have turbines in them to generate electricity as the water moves to homes and businesses. Besides generating power, the turbines in the water mains provide information to system operators when water pressure drops due to leaks, which can then be found and repaired. The Portland system is scheduled to begin full-capacity power by March and is expected to generate enough electricity to power about 150 homes a year. The U.S. Supreme Court has ruled that the state of Nebraska violated an agreement over the usage of water in the Republican River. 
and the court has ordered Nebraska to pay the state of Kansas more than $5 million. Kansas sued Nebraska because it had disregarded a compact or agreement that controls how much water each state is entitled to use. It turns out Nebraska used way too much. Justice Kagan wrote that Nebraska needed to be reminded of its legal obligations and that making Nebraska pay will deter future violations. And other people are surely paying attention because there are more than 25 compacts in the U.S. that allocate water among neighboring states. But those in Nebraska are actually seeing the decision as a victory because Kansas is getting only $5.5 million instead of the $80 million it had initially demanded. Also, the court declined to order Nebraska to shut down irrigation wells. And finally today, turf wars. And we're not talking about street gangs or drug cartels. To the contrary, we're referring to the quaffed neighborhoods of Southern California, where pitched battles are growing between homeowners and homeowners associations over grass. Yes, grass, but more precisely, fake grass. Most homeowners associations, or HOAs, prohibit the artificial material on front lawns, saying its out-of-place look damages community character. But the ongoing drought is causing many to question the wisdom of such rigid controls. San Diego area Democratic Assemblywoman Lorena Gonzalez wants people to get real about being fake. She recently proposed a bill that would prohibit HOAs from fining residents for installing artificial lawns. In 2011, Governor Jerry Brown vetoed a similar measure, saying that HOAs, not the state, should make those rules. Ms. Gonzalez says the public has the wrong image when it comes to artificial turf, saying it's not like the stuff you used to find on miniature golf courses. She claims that when she walks her precinct, she can't tell the difference between real grass and fake. Despite the promise of saving money on water bills and the lack of maintenance, Southern Californians might still resist allowing synthetic turf. Because in the land of facelifts, acrylic nails, and make-believe, the last thing you'd want is something artificial. This Week in Water is a production of H2O Radio and is sponsored by Colorado WaterWise. Learn more at coloradowaterwise.org.